Hey everyone, welcome to episode 114 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. Uh, with me as always is Andrew Brown. Hello. Uh, and this week we're going to talk uh, more about the Devil May Cry series, a bit more on Castlevania. We're going to cover one person's story, because oh boy. Uh, Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling. Uh, and we're going to touch on the Borderlands like Legendary Collection, which we'll uh, go into more depth next week, but we'll, we'll cover a bit of it. Let's get straight on to what we've been playing although i mean there's it's not really news but there's been a, like heaps of big releases on on switch this week uh, including most of 2k's popular output uh borderlands xcom bioshock collection um xenoblade chronicles also just came out uh, my copy's still in the mail so we won't be talking about that till next week um yeah just one of those packed weeks where you just don't know where to put your money uh what out of the big releases have you grabbed well on the 2K releases, I was deliberately waiting until Black Friday to get them because, you know, I already own all these games on other platforms. I've already played them. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see any real rush to grab them, but then we got review codes. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's nice. But other than that, uh, Bug Fables I got. I'll be talking about that later on in the show. And I got Xenoblade Chronicles t- also. I almost said 2, which would be confusing because it's not Xenoblade <laughs> Chronicles 2. Uh <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll wait and talk about that next week when we have more time with it. Cool. Uh, so let's just jump straight into what we've been playing then. Okay, I'll start. Uh, so I finished Devil May Cry 2. Uh, most of what I said last week is valid. This week I finished it completely, which involves both campaigns. Uh, the story here is really plodding overall does nothing i'm still not sure what happened other than the two main characters being at this location and fighting enemies in terms of uh lucia's campaign hers was much more enjoyable than dante's uh it's more of an abridged story which is kind of like what happens when her and dante are separated uh you approach some of these levels from different angles but it's mostly the same locations and uh, it does have two original levels both of which are underwater which were the weakest elements of that campaign um but in terms of lucia herself i found her combat quicker and more fluid and she had nicer moves like there was a really cool uh wall run while attacking she could do which i thought was really neat uh, she gets less weapons there's no guns but she gets different types of daggers that she can throw they just sort of replicate the the weaponry so her normal ones act like you know the pistol bullets the the next one she get act like the shotgun um, it's not too much of a change-up, but just as as a feel, she felt better. Um, also, her campaign's a lot easier than Dante's, uh, but Dante's was pretty easy as well, so yeah, not sure. Um, so if the first game felt really uneven, the second one is like practically monotone uh, in comparison. Uh, so yeah, I, I honestly, if I was advising anyone, I'd say while I enjoyed both from the you know understanding the the ups and downs of the series, I'd probably advise people to skip both those first two and just jump into three or four. Um, so on three, I may as well just roll straight into it. Um, so Devil May Cry 3, yeah, this is more like it. This is more like the series that everyone promised me it was. Uh, it's a proper, almost a proper 3D adventure now. It still holds on to the, the uh, fixed camera positions in, in some locations, but Every so often it'll, it'll let you have free control. A little bit on accessibility I want to talk about. Uh, gold versus yellow. Do you know what this is? I know exactly what you're talking about now, <laughs> yeah. uh, but that is not something 
Like, I, my, my experience with the Devil May Cry trilogy was so far in the past, I, I couldn't even say anything more than I liked this one and I didn't like that one. But I, I do know what okay. you mean now. So, yeah, when you start the campaign, it just asks you gold or yellow with no explanation. So I just went, mm, yellow, I guess. And, uh, you know, I was most of the way through, through the campaign. I was like, okay, it seems a bit um, less forgiving than the other two in terms of its checkpointing. And then I found out what gold versus yellow meant. If you pick yellow, uh, when you die, you have to start the level from the scratch. If you pick gold, it puts you, like, in the nearest uh, possible room usually near one of the the statues where you can edit your loadout there seems to be no downside for picking good checkpointing and that i can tell it doesn't seem to reduce your score or anything so i ended up having to start the game again after being like three or four levels in and and going to gold because i just i don't want to be a master of every level here i'm just here for the wild ride the other thing about this game is it uh while it does a lot of things better than the other two this has no respect for continuity it's it's like a, a prequel and nothing is really referenced from the other games there's no you know plot bouncing ball that was an accidental foreshadowing of one of the other games we're going to talk about um there's no like progressive plot across all three it's just you know three separate weird stories but at least here in this one there's some interesting things going on and they finally give some backstory on uh, dante's brother virgil who becomes a, a large part of the series in the next couple. Uh, it was kind of hinted at in the first game uh, that you fought him for a couple of the boss fights without realising, um, but then he was dropped for literally nothing in that second game. Uh, the one thing this game does bring is different styles. Uh, so you, you start with four, there's Trickster, Gunslinger, Swordmaster and Royal Guard. Um, each has different abilities that you can unlock by using them a lot and levelling up. I've only got one of those levelled up so far and that's Swordmaster um, and you can earn more styles in the story. That adds a new layer of depth but I'm the trouble with this is I'm never sure on which style I should pick ahead of each level. Um, and Yeah, and, well, and they, they level up so slow that um, like by the time you get to the end of the game you, you're going to be lucky if you've got one or two leveled at all. Um, I'm, I think I'm like four missions from the end now. I've, I've been maining Swordmaster because it appears to be doing the most damage. Uh, it starts you on Trickster by default, which is, is also seemed fun. I didn't have any real issues with it. But for me, the only one that really changes up the playstyle is the Royal Guard because it's, it's more of a, a defensive uh, class, but it's also the hardest one to use. So I've, I've sort of left that one fall by the wayside it does seem to level up a lot quicker though as well so yeah um it also brings back the thing i didn't mention in devil may cry 2 which was a positive for the series was weapon switching which you could do on the fly without having to go to the menu so you could switch your guns that comes forward into devil may cry 3 and you can actually change your, your chosen swords and your chosen guns whenever you want in combat um that was really cool it just helps keep everything flowing a bit nicer than than the previous games did yeah i really like this one a lot uh, it's been a wild ride. I think it's probably a little overlong. I'm, I'm sort of hitting this point now where I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for this to be over. Not helped by the fact that it's had me backtrack through a load of uh, locations that I've already been to, albeit in, you know, like slight variations, but it's like, oh, this room again, great. And yeah, they just keep throwing new enemies at you like every, sing every single level, each, you know, more, more obtruse than the last. Um, I've just hit the angels. Do you remember those ones? Vaguely. <laughs> yeah, they they have a 
they're not real. They're dressed like angels. They're not really angels. They're covering like a demon's face with a wing that you have to destroy. Uh, and if you don't keep up the pressure on them, they can regenerate that wing. But they always pair you with two of them to try and keep you occupied, so they can do that. They're they're a pain in the backside. Um, but the enemy designs in this one, in particular, are way and above those in the previous games. Every single one looks absolutely terrific. Yeah, so far, uh, my favourite of that original trilogy. I can't wait to get onto 4, because I, I have really fond memories of that one. Um, obviously not on Switch. I'm going to have to look to a different platform to keep that one going. Okay, so let's talk about Bug Fables, so it's not just me waffling on. Uh, so Bug Fables, the Everlasting Sapling. Uh, you described this last week as a Paper Mario-like. Very much a Paper Mario-like, to the point that, like, if it hadn't been 15 plus years since Thousand Year Door came out, uh, which was the last Paper Mario that people who like Paper Mario like, uh, basically. <laughs> I know I'm discounting a, a large number of people there who uh, probably skew younger, who are more familiar with the more recent Paper Mario games, but trust me, the first two Paper <laughs> Mario games were fantastic and everything since has been average to garbage. Uh, but this one is Bug Fables would be just galling amounts of plagiarism if it hadn't been so long since the thousand year door (laughs) (laughs) we briefly discussed the origami king the next paper mario game coming out in july hopefully in the last episode and i mentioned that the paper mario series just hadn't been as good as it used to be and playing bug fables this is much more like what i assume because I'm, I'm in that category of people what people wanted the Paper Mario sequels to be like because this this is Paper Mario not just graphically uh, just in all the elements that it brings in I, I've actually started a little list of all the things that are copied directly from Paper Mario your stats <laughs> only increase manually when you level up so if you want more health you better take more health on your next level up because that's the only way you're getting it There's a fortune teller that shows you where all the collectibles you missed are. Uh, Instead of badge points, every time you level up, you can select badge points. That'll let you equip more badges, and badges give you special abilities. Like, maybe they modify one of your attacks a little bit, or they make you immune to a certain status effect, and the better badges take more points to equip. Bug Fables has metal points. You can equip metals, and that's the exact (laughs) same thing. (laughs) Uh, and just on and on and on and on it's even structured like Paper Mario it's got different chapters and there's a a hub area in the center of the world that you go back to after every chapter and then you open up a new area that's off in some direction and you go there and when you get there you unlock an underground tunnel that takes you back to the main hub area so you can get around a lot quicker Paper Mario, Paper Mario, Paper Mario. (laughs) But where (laughs) this game really stretches away from Paper Mario, though, is in its combat. It does have the same combat systems. Uh, It even has a lot of the same inputs. Like, you can increase the strength of uh, one character's attacks by holding a direction down and releasing it when a light pops up. And then there's another character that has an action bar on screen that has a green little highlighted area on the bar and if you stop the cursor in that bar you'll do extra damage uh, these are all taken directly from paper mario but what's different is you actually have three characters in your party at each time uh, and these are three like individual characters they're not just uh they're not 
like an appendage, which is more how the uh, the supporting characters in the Paper Mario RPGs worked. And you have to use a lot of strategy with them, like Vi, who's uh, a bee in your party, has a beamerang, which is it's a boomerang, and that's the only <laughs> way you can target flying enemies or enemies that are hanging from the ceiling in some way. And once she hits them with them, they fall on the ground, and then Kabu and Leif or your other two characters can then hit them, but that's the only way that can happen. So if you're fighting, like, flying enemies or you're fighting a boss that can hover in the air, you really need to make sure that you're protecting Vi. Now, where this gets tricky is even compared to the Paper Mario games, like, I really feel like I'm constantly starving for hit points in this game. Because uh, when you get a level up, you can select to get more health, but in Paper Mario, you got five more hit points every time you pick that option. In this game, you get one hit point for each of your characters. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so even now, I'm eight to ten hours into the campaign. I'm a couple chapters in. I think I'm in, like, chapter three. And if, if this is anything like Paper Mario, there's going to be eight chapters total. My characters have... 10 or 11 hit points Kabu who is your tank he has 15 hit points and enemies hit for 3 or 4 hit points a piece so when you get hit you feel it Uh, (laughs) and I'm also playing on the hard mode and I'm only doing that because I played Paper Mario so much so I feel pretty comfortable in this there's a lot of challenge and a lot of strategy that I'm having to bring into this just to get through these fights because I feel like I'm constantly having just enough hit points to pull things off. Hopefully I'll be able to wrap this game up in the coming week. Maybe it'll take two weeks. I don't know because there's so much coming out starting in June that I'm going to have to keep up with. But I might be able to give a more definitive you know, opinion on it because uh, it's not all positive. There's a lot of side quests and they just have a lot of running back and forth doing FedEx quests and stuff it's not the best Uh, but you know as an old Paper Mario game fan looking for that kind of game I haven't played one in a long long time I've been really happy with it on that level so if you like the Paper Mario 64 and Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door and you've been disappointed in Super Paper Mario and Sticker Star and Color Splash and if, like me, you're looking at the Origami King with a great deal of suspicion, Bug Fables is definitely something you should be turning your attention to. It's deliberately a ripoff <laughs> of Paper Mario. I uh, I really like the art style. It looks kind of like a... What if, if Hollow Knight had color? <laughs> so a lot of those bug designs look very uh, Hollow knight yeah, A little bit. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, Good review for that one. I look forward to hearing your closing thoughts uh, next time. Um, let's uh, just quickly discuss Castlevania 2, which I mentioned I had just started recording in the last episode. So started playing while we were recording the last episode. Um, and even like even in those early stages, I knew it was going to be decent because it felt like a an RPG, very different in style and structure to the, the original game. Yeah, this is... This is great. I, I really like this one. It's a. It's got kind of like an open side-scrolling world. There's like a day-night cycle, uh, which seems like way ahead of its time for for when it was. Uh, each with its own soundtrack, which is like you know both like all the music in this game is 
absolutely phenomenal. It's been one of my favourite parts. And as you would expect in these sort of horror-themed games, the night cycle makes enemies more aggressive. Uh, they prevent you from getting into buildings in the towns because they come over overrun with ghouls and, and nasties. I completely concur with what you mentioned last week about it being very difficult to figure out your next move because uh, there's a lot of complexity to this game that it doesn't fully describe. I've come across the the element where the villagers will lie to you, so my my default tactic now is just to be to ignore them and just explore things for myself. <laughs> um, I've just started the second mansion, the which yeah. oh, the, the mansion exploration is great as well. Um, I'm struggling to figure out what my punishment for death is other than losing the hearts because. Uh, as a test, I died on purpose three times after doing a, a save while in one of the mansions, and it just spawned me exactly where I died. Um, doesn't seem to be any punishment for that, which is which is neat. I'm continually surprised by how friendly these games are in that respect. <laughs> NES Castlevania games are friendly. Hey, you're funny, Andy. Yeah. You're a funny man. <laughs> I don't mean like in the moment-to-moment gameplay, but I mean in hey you can carry on not far from from where you died which you know just seems a, a million miles away from what i know of you know game design in that era bearing in mind i i'm i grew up with like mega man which is just notoriously a difficult game and very punishing especially the game boy versions that i i played a lot like i i think it was just my expectation was going to be that it was going to be so unfriendly that anything other than that has been a delightful surprise <laughs> Um, and the other thing I like in this one is that when you get an item, you can just keep using it. It doesn't cost you your currency of hearts. Uh, on that, hearts is a really weird currency because you just associate that with health in a lot of games, whereas food food is your health <laughs> in the Castlevania series. Yeah, that's always that's a weird, unique thing to Castlevania too. <laughs> no, no other game mm-hmm. does that. Money is money in other <laughs> Castlevania games. In Castlevania 2, it's hearts. I, I don't know. <laughs> it, well, in, in hearts, it, in, sorry, in Castlevania 1, hearts were my ammo, mm-hmm. which was really weird. It's too. such a weird uh, system. Yeah. Um, I'm enjoying it so much, I've sort of heard that number 3 sort of goes back to the first one's roots in terms of its structure, so I, I think I'm going to be disappointed with that. Uh, no. Uh-uh, by default. No. <laughs> it doesn't? It okay, does, but it doesn't. You... you I don't want to tell you. I want you to play it. Castlevania 3 is the best of the three Castlevania games on NES. For me, it's a top 10, if not top 5, NES game. It's one of the best. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, This one, though, in particular, feels like just such a massive step up from the first one. What we were saying last week as well about you, you were wondering if it had any sort of a manual. Um, The collection does actually come with a digital book. Hmm which takes you through every game in the collection and tells you about its structure and its setup and all the the hidden things and it's got artwork and stuff which is is really cool to to flick through before I started Castlevania 2 I just had a you know just a quick flick to see what I was in for um so it's it's a nice, it seems a nice collection overall um but I'll you know I'll summarize it once I get through them all this is sort of what I'm chipping away at in between other games and I, I didn't get as far as I wanted in this because I've just been focusing on, on Devil May Cry because I kind of want that experience over with now. So yeah uh, I, I enjoy that. I, I definitely rec- recommend people check out Castlevania 2 if not the collection at this point. Are you using a guide for Castlevania 2? Uh, I, 
I I learned very early on that I should yeah, use a torch. Yeah, because to find one of the mansions, you have to kneel in a specific place, uh, well, oh, with a God. specific item <laughs> equipped for several seconds, and these were the things we had to figure out on our own back in the 1980s. <laughs> I, I I really doubt you would finish this game without a guide. That was why I laughed yeah, like when you I, said you started ignore, not talking to any of the villagers, because that is the only way that we could have figured that out back then, short of subscribing to Nintendo Power. I'm talking to them, I just don't trust them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I looked at like the how long to beat for it, and it said roughly four hours. Hmm. And, and that's if you know you what know, you're doing. Very, <laughs> yeah, very early on, I figured out that meant with a guide and not... Uh, you know, because that's where we got our longevity back in the day, just because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. You know, Resident Evil's like a three or four hour game. Um, it's only expanded because you need to explore and figure everything out. You know, that that that's the same sort of thing here. Uh, but yeah, I, I do enjoy it. Uh, I'm trying not to default to the guide, but yeah, there's a lot of things I am just having a quick gander at. Um, like for the second, uh, sorry, first mansion, I, I had a quick look at the map just to give me an idea of where the, the key item was and so I could work my way there. Okay, uh, so let's talk about one person's story. Um, now, I just want to go over what the game is. I want to go over my experiences with it and then I want to see if yours marry up. I'm pretty sure they will. <laughs> so, it's a puzzle game uh, where there are 100 levels. You have to navigate a bouncing ball through a narrow corridor that goes starts at the bottom of the screen and goes to the top. And you manage it screen by screen. Uh, the mechanics, you might have to open doors. Uh, you might have other bouncing balls that play a part and having them in certain sections to allow you to get through. You might have to click keys. There are magnetic sides. There are duplicates that you can do that will leave you unharmed, but you've got to get the timing right so you can get through the level. As a puzzle game I, I it's pretty solid um but as you play through uh it's got this beautiful piano track that plays over the top of it a narrator starts talking uplifting quotes about helping each other about love and determination it, it's proper like motivational poster stuff i think many of these are actually famous quotes from real people <laughs> it instantly it gives you a thomas was alone vibe. Uh, just some of the examples I picked up, uh, they range from you know, like your typical motivational stuff like obstacles don't block the path, they are the path. Uh, just to the downright problematic, which is nobody can hurt you without your permission, which is just... Oh god, I hated that one. I like, Zero. Oh, no, that is that is not how it works, but anyway. <laughs> and then, so you, you, you work your way through, you know, the puzzles are fun, it's challenging, it's, it, you know, it's not amazing, but it's it's an enjoyable little puzzle game and then there's a dark turn at the end where literally the levels go dark uh, the the terminology starts switching from you to i um so i i was at a point where i didn't know if the pre the previous you know uplifting statements was the narrator self-affirmation or whether they had just started talking for me or as the character as the ball which they made no effort to establish um, and then suddenly, almost out of the blue, the game asks if I wanted to kill myself. I answer no, and then the rest of the game goes, okay, glad to hear that. That's the end. Thanks for playing. Yeah, the game says, I'm glad that you feel that way. Yeah. I was like, hmm. <laughs> I actually went back and did both pads. <laughs> just okay, to that, see what would happen. That was the other question. What happens if you go the other Um, It just kind of goes, yeah, so that happens. <laughs> and then Thanks you do, like, there's only, like, 
two screens difference between the two pads because like the game is almost over when you get to that point and the puzzles weren't all that different on the other side like except for the narration there was really nothing that changed it was not it was not an impressive bioshock like twist no and like my first thought was like is this the developer trying to process something in which case i hope they're safe and i hope they're okay Mm. and if it is not that then it's a very clumsy attempt at starting a, a mental health conversation because that turn was just sudden and abrupt and not not just the turn but the turn and then the cool thanks for playing like cheerfulness of the end that that really threw me for six i i had no idea what to to make of that um yeah i so as a as a puzzle game i, I think it's fine but as, as a narrative it's pretty terrible mm. I'm really conflicted on it because I, I I broadly agree with you. Even before it got to that twist at the end, I was getting like really strong twelve-step program vibes from this mm-hmm. game, with like all the platitudes and the self-help quotes and everything. And I was like, I, I really did suspect when I got to the end of this game if it was gonna flash up uh, an earl to a website for a cult uh, <laughs> I, I i really wondered if that was going to happen and then it got to the twist and it was like oh wait is this somebody processing their suicide attempts in which case this is a really interesting way to go about that and just how overly earnest it was like i was not a fan of that but at the same time like i haven't been through an experience like that so mm-hmm. maybe that Certainly, if that is the case, that's what it is, and that's what I believe this is. It's, it's the developer, the creators processing something that happened to them. Uh, that probably speaks to them, and it might speak to somebody who has been through it themselves. But mm-hmm. I'm privileged and cynical. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> like that has ever happened to me. So I was sitting here rolling my eyes going, what next? Are you going to say life is like a box of chocolates? Because like, that's seriously the level of, of quotes. <laughs> but, you know, without the Forrest Gump-like irony. So <laughs> I'm conflicted. Like, this did not speak to me, I'm, but I'm not saying it wouldn't speak to anybody else. Yeah. Uh, it was it was way too earnest for my tastes is, is my main takeaway. And I found some of the puzzles kind of annoying. There were a couple screens I got stuck on for yeah. way too long, and then I get to the next few screens and just like one or two attempts, and I get through them, and then yeah, yeah, it, it was it was an experience. <laughs> it was a ninety-nine cent experience. <laughs> it, it was just that. Su- the, I think the the turns just happen too suddenly, and they're packed, you know, too close to the end. So I sort of felt like it was holding its cards. Uh, too closely and then it tried to hit you with a shock and awe and it it just didn't quite work yeah so with that i can't tell if it i can't process if it's problematic or not but like some of those statements definitely are some some aren't some are just you know straight up poster material um you can't spell impossible without i'm possible (laughs) (laughs) i laughed at that one i busted up laughing (laughs) Uh, i I was telling someone about it at work and like they were listing the people who said these quotes as well and i was like oh i didn't know that so yeah (laughs) um i I thought visually it looked nice i i I like that minimalistic style and the, the sketches sort of worked in in tandem with uh the point they were trying to make screen by screen 
uh, and and that music was just fantastic. I thought that that was um, yeah. Well, that was my immediate thought playing it was if I had played this the year it came out, it probably would have come to mind at the end of the year for best mm-hmm. music. Yeah, really good piano track. Uh, just uh, just lacks nuance. I, I think they could have hit that point, but yeah, a bit clumsy in my opinion. Um, okay, so we, we won't spend too long on it, but uh, so 2K were kind enough to send us uh, codes for both the Borderlands Legendary Collection and XCOM Collection, sorry, XCOM 2 Collection. Uh, it doesn't include the first one. Um, I'm going to get stuck into uh, XCOM later this week once uh, Devil May Cry is finished. Uh, you've already had a quick start of the three Borderlands games, just as a, a refresher. Do they seem good ports so far? They seem like excellent ports, especially Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel. The first game, it just doesn't feel as good to play. Like, the movement is a little more awkward. Mm-hmm. The guns don't feel as powerful. I think that is just entirely down to how old that game is now. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, it, it, it hurts me to say that Borderlands is old. Because, like, in the grand scheme of things, it's not. But it does... It's older than Minecraft. And our, our, our young listeners out there just went, Oh, my God. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but in terms of, you know, the lifespan of video games, Borderlands is ancient at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's with the one I'm working through, because I do want to play them in order. But I did spend a couple hours in all three games in this package just to re-familiarize myself with them. Going all the way back to the beginning of our podcast, one of our categories that we did was games we'd like to see ported on the Switch. My three choices were Darkest Dungeon, Hyrule Warriors, and Borderlands 2. Uh, We got Darkest Dungeon and Hyrule Warriors in the first year of the Switch, and (laughs) took this long to get Borderlands 2. I'm really, really happy to see it here, even though I I did give up hope last year that it would actually ever happen. Uh, uh, Borderlands 2 really is the star of this package. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's my favorite shooter ever. It's not a a shooter's shooter. Like, uh, people who really like shooters, they probably gravitate more towards Doom or Call of Duty, but this is more of an adventure. It's more of an RPG. It just happens to have a lot of guns in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not really what I play Borderlands for. I don't care all that much about the shooting. I play it for the story and for the characters, which are incredible. There's this kind of idea out there, I think, from people who either haven't played it or weren't paying attention when they played it, that Borderlands 2 is just wall-to-wall memes and jokes. It's not. (laughs) The characters in this game are really, really Mm well-written. There is Claptrap, who, yeah, most of what Claptrap says are memes and jokes. That's because Claptrap is a parody of that kind of character. Uh... I don't want to get too heated on this discussion because <laughs> I could just go all day. Uh, but Handsome Jack, the bad guy in Borderlands 2, is one of the best video game characters, one of the all-time great villains. He's the best character from that console generation. He's amazing. I say play Borderlands 2 just for Handsome Jack. And then the pre-sequel as well, Handsome Jack was received so well in Borderlands 2, they made the pre-sequel, which is all about him. And then the first game... First game feels kind of hollow when you compare it to Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel. I I don't know all the details to this story, but apparently it used to be much more like how Borderlands 2 is, with a lot of plot and a lot of character development. And at some point near the end of development, that all got stripped out and just left 
quest descriptions that are long that you have to read. Nobody reads those. Come on. <laughs> we know nobody reads those. So you just accept the quests, then you go to the point on the map and you kill the people there, and that's the whole game. It's perfectly serviceable, but it's just it's not as good as Borderlands 2 is. Uh, and from what I understand, this happened so late in the process, and it was just such a devastating blow to what the game was supposed to be that uh, one of the lead designers on the game quit the industry. Like, it, that was how wow. bad it was. Yeah. <laughs> Borderlands 1, I still think, is worth playing. Like, it's playable, it's serviceable, uh, but Borderlands 2 is even better if you played Borderlands 1 because it does build up on all those characters in the first game and the plot twists in Borderlands 2, which mm -hmm. are already really good by themselves, they're even better if you played the first game. So the Legend, you can buy these, how they're packaged on the eShop is, is bizarre. Uh, <laughs> we, we even ran into some problems with the download codes provided to us, but uh, you can buy the Legendary Collection, which has Borderlands 1 and 2 and the pre-sequel in it, or you can buy Borderlands 1 by itself, and you can buy the Handsome Collection, which has Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel in it, but you can't buy 2 or the pre-sequel individually. <laughs> I don't know why it's packaged that way, and it, it's already making problems on the eShop. Uh, I guess the eShop can't handle compilations in compilations, so if you look at what the eShop says, uh, it, I actually posted this on my Twitter timeline if you want to look at how messed up this is. It says, uh, Legendary Collection costs $49.99, then right underneath it it says, Total if purchased individually, $39.99. <laughs> because <laughs> the eShop can't handle having a compilation inside of a compilation. So it only reads one of the games in it, which is the Handsome Collection. But anyway, I definitely recommend the Handsome Collection if you don't want to deal with how old and empty Borderlands 1 feels. But it's only 10 extra bucks to get the Legendary Collection, and it makes Borderlands 2, which is already, again, one of my favorite games of all time, it makes it even better. I definitely recommend this package. I'm shooting our message in the foot here uh, by saying this, but I, this is how much I love this game and I want people to play it. Borderlands Handsome Collection is free on the Epic Game Store right now. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully it will still be free by the time this episode comes out. Play that at least. Get this if there's a price drop on Switch, because, you know, it's having three great shooters for even $50 is a great deal but I'm sure come November you can get them for 20 bucks and that's an amazing deal like Borderlands 2 even to this day is the gold standard for how DLC should be handled there is so much of it and it's all really good uh, I could gush 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 about Borderlands <laughs> for a long time uh, but I'm going to hold it right there uh, buy Borderlands Legendary Collection if you have any interest in a good shooter, a good adventure, or a, just a game with good characters and a good plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, num number two is definitely the the highlight, and the the DLC elevates that writing a hell of a lot. So the, there's events that happen in the story, particularly uh, Tiny Tina's uh, assault on Dragon Keep, is just absolutely stellar writing in terms of what's happening and what it means, and then the there's the money shot part of that story which is just ah uh, that hurt <laughs> um, yeah. mm -hmm. I agree with you I think it gets a bad rap for its writing and e even the uh, the free DLC they did uh, to sort of straddle the end of 2 and the start of 3 was really good at continuing that, uh, mm -hmm. that yeah, emotional unfortunately payoff. that uh, Commander Lilith and the assault on 
whatever it's called, the Commander Lilith DLC that, that mm-hmm. they put out to, for that bridge between 2 and 3, unfortunately is not included in this. Probably probably uh, they were using some... I don't know why it's not there, but it's not, <laughs> which is disappointing. But that's like the only caveat for this package, really, is that if you wanted to play that Commander Lilith DLC, it's not there. Yeah, um, hopefully they bring 3 eventually. Uh, so I've played a, a, mm. a lot of 3. It would run... Um, as a game itself it's it's not as good as two but you know it's fine but uh yeah the the reason i didn't fight you harder for that code was because it was uh all my progress is on xbox because i started the right. original one on 360 <laughs> and i don't want to go through 200 hours of gameplay just to, to beat it again as much as it would be oh, it's lovely <laughs> it's true it's a 20 hour game for the base game and then yeah, if you do all the DLC, then it becomes a 100-hour game. But As much as I would love to have that uh, shooty, loody grind on the uh, on the go, um, yeah, I, I, I just haven't got the energy. I'll just I'll finish 3 and, <laughs> and, and leave it on Xbox, I think. Um, I don't know what it is about Borderlands 2, but Borderlands 2 I own on Xbox 360. I have it on Steam. I have it on PlayStation 3, which I got it in a Humble Bundle, even though mm. I don't own a PlayStation 3. Uh, <laughs> I have it on PlayStation 4. I have beaten it multiple times with almost every character, and there are six characters, so that that's wow. 20 hours for each character. Wow. If you really know what you're doing to get through that campaign. I've beaten this game with each of those characters on all of those platforms. I have played this game a lot, and I still love it. That's how good it is. <laughs> Borderlands 2 amazing i'm so happy it's finally on switch um so we we didn't get a code for the bioshock collection they'd, they'd run out so um out of the th- the three games uh with me with xcom out of the, sorry out of the two remaining of those 2k ones i probably buy bioshock again i think i'm due a, a replay of that and i've never played minerva's mm-hmm. den which everyone yells at me for um <laughs> and uh yeah uh, uh, we could do a bioshock special all on our own, I think. Well, I'm definitely going to get Bioshock Collection around November, mm-hmm. around Black Friday. I'm sure, like I said, it'll be down to 20 bucks by then. We should definitely <laughs> cover it game by game. Because, yeah. like, I wrote my senior thesis in college on the first Bioshock. Uh, oh, nice. Bioshock 2 is an even better game than the first Bioshock, which mm. was, like, without getting too much into it, I think Bioshock, what it has to say is really more better than what the game actually is. Uh, but Bioshock 2 is a much better game. And then there's Bioshock Infinite, which I'm sure we could talk about that at length. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With excitement uh, and <laughs> candor and negativity. and yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a flawed game uh, and its messaging, for sure. Uh, but, yeah. Um, that's a soft sell. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll cover that because I I think it's it's primary commentary it nails. It's just everything else. What what do you think the primary commentary in Bioshock Infinite is? Because I don't well, think it nails anything. I think it face plants every aspect of itself. Uh, a lot of people complained that Booker's violence was against narrative, and I felt complete opposite. I felt that was the point. And that was what the theme was about the the cycle of violence. Mm. But uh, the much of the problematic stuff is with the uh, the two factions that are, are warring at Columbia and this right, this, right. this yeah. some ham, ham-fisted uh, you know representation of those two. Let, let's ham-fisted Bioshock. Let, let's not mince words here. Bioshock Infinite. That whole aspect of it is a race war written by white men. That's yeah, what that game. That's pretty what much. that is. It is. <laughs> And it's the uh, yeah the the refusal to pick a side 
and uh, you know treat them both in the same vein was very uh, ham-fisted. But l- l- let's talk about that in more depth. We'll we'll both get the uh, the collection. We'll get to that. That'll be in twenty twenty one. That'll be a discussion yeah. for then when we have more time to play them. So yeah, so we'll cover those uh, in future episodes. Yeah, I think yeah, good idea to dedicate like an episode to each one or something. That, that's a good idea. Uh, so yeah, that's it for the episode. Um, I'll I'll we'll save off a, a village visit this time. I haven't really got much progress to report. Other, I'm just chipping away at that. So. <laughs> Okay, Andrew, what are you playing in this coming week? Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition and wrapping up Bug Fables. Hopefully, I'll keep picking at it, see how far I get. Nice. Uh, me, it's all about XCOM, uh, Castlevania, and I'm back on Mutant Year Zero again. I've got Xenoblade Chronicles coming on Monday. I'm probably not going to get to it in time, if I'm honest. But luckily, uh, we're going to have a guest next week in uh, the form of Tori Wasana, who definitely will be playing it, uh, and I think has played it before, uh, so they can help prop up my end of the conversation <laughs> for, from that angle. Uh, really keen to get stuck into XCOM though because uh, I, I did love the first one. I uh, played that on Vita actually and never didn't finish it because I think I uh, screwed myself with the actual business management side of things and yeah so looking to get stuck into that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the End Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get notice. And you can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. And make sure to check out our sister shows, Playstates, which should have their first episode out by now, and The Power of X, covering uh, the PlayStation and the Xbox platforms. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community, and you can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. You can find links in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows in total, you can buy us a coffee, or you can become a Game Podular Patreon. And the details for both those are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Craig Windle, and you can follow him at... Craigity Craig and his professional music career at Windmills at Dawn. If you want to follow us individually, Andy is at Flame Roast Toast and I am at Play Critically.
Bioshock Infinite sucks.